Well, good evening, saints and friends. God bless you all. We appreciate you. So good to have you with us in the house as well as online. We thank you for being here, and we do appreciate you. Let us bow our heads, and then we will open up with a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, love you, appreciate you, honor you for all that you are and all that you mean. God, we pray that you bless us as we do our last Bible study for the year and pray that you would give us wisdom and clarity for the things that you want to share with us so that as we begin to progress out of this year into a new year, we will have some substance to take into the new year with us, as well as some substance to close this year out, as well as going into the holidays, having a word in our heart and in our spirit. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Just want to shout out my South Carolina friends. Thank you for being here all the way from South Carolina. Thank you for those who are in Indiana. Thank you for uh, uh, those who are in the building. Just appreciate you for tuning in. So what we're going to do is discuss last Sunday's message in more detail and see how it uh, we can take from it and, and see what we can see that will develop us even further. So Let's look at what the title was. The title was The Power of Perspective. The Power of Perspective. And the, the whole idea of the sermon was how important our perspective is to what we are dealing with and how we end up on the other side of what we're dealing with. There's a word that I'm going to bring in tonight that I didn't bring in yesterday, I mean, that I didn't bring in Sunday that I think will even help us further understand, and it is the word perception. See, your perspective, it affects your perception, how you perceive, what you perceive. And for many people, their perception is reality. Their perception becomes their reality. And that can be scary because perception is not always right. Your perception is not always right. So if you work on your perspective, then that will help your perception, and then you will be able to see things clearly. On this morning in our morning Bible study, we were discussing uh, s several things, and one of the things that we discussed brought me to the scripture where Jesus was healing a man uh, who was blind and Jesus was touching his eyes and healing his eyesight. And Jesus asked him a question like, how do you see? Or what do you see? And I'm paraphrasing. And he said, I see, but I see men as trees. And Jesus didn't leave him there. He touched his eyes again until he could see clearly. So going from blind to seeing men as trees was much better than his blindness, but it wasn't the full scope of his deliverance and wholeness. And as long as he stayed in the state of seeing men as trees, then that could have been quite tragic. What would have happened if he would have ran into a tree thinking he was talking to a man? Jesus didn't leave him in that state. He kept adjusting him. But the beautiful thing that I think in that particular passage is the fact that he was honest enough with Jesus to say, my perception is not totally correct. Now, it seems to suggest that that man at some time was able to see because he knew the difference between men and trees. And he knew at this time that his eyes were conflating the two. They were mixing the two and something wasn't right about that. So when you understand that your perspective is affecting your perception and things are a little off, you need to be able to go to God and say, hey, I need another touch. I need you to fix this so that I can see clearly. If I was a singer, I would say, I can see clearly. Now the rain is gone. We want to be able to see clearly. We want our perspective to be absolutely and totally correct. So the power of perspective. 
let's define perspective, a particular attitude toward a way of regarding something, a point of view, a, a frame of reference, an angle, a point of view. I like how it says an attitude because our perspective affects our perception so much that it puts an attitude in us. We, we have an attitude based on what we think we see. And so if we are seeing wrong, then our attitude sometimes toward God can be wrong. Our attitude toward people can be wrong. Let, let me give you an example of that. You can perceive something wrong because you have the wrong perspective. In other words, there are people who come to church with very low self-esteem and it, uh, I guess it comes out as insecurity. So I, as the leader, the pastor, I may be looking at them one way, but their perspective filters their perception to see things only through their insecurity. So, for example, there may be two people standing at the door, and I'm thinking, I want to talk to both of them. But one of them I've already talked to this week, so I'm going to go to them and I'm going to speak to them first, and then I'm going to get to this other person because I know they're going to need more of my time. The low self-esteem person is going to need more, more of my time. But when I go to the other person first, then that person says, see, the pastor don't like me. They leave before I can even talk to them because in their perception, he don't, he don't like me. He always choosing somebody else over me. But their perspective was wrong. I was really going to give them more time. And that's just like a made-up example. But when you bring bad perspective that affects your perceptions, when you bring that to the table, what happens? It affects your attitude because you see everything from that perspective. A more practical example would be the idea of having actual specks on your glasses dust that is blocking your view. You see things one way, and it's actually because your lens is dirty. Like, man, this mirror is dirty. I don't know why they don't clean the mirror. And then when they clean their glasses, they realize, oh, it never was the mirror. It was me the whole time. So we have to be very careful with our perspective because it affects our perception, and it could shape our attitude about a lot of things. And when we come to God, many times we come to God with attitudes and those attitudes determine our altitudes. And when we don't progress and go high in God, we get an attitude with God, but the problem is right here with our perspective, our perception, our angle, our frame of reference, our point of view. Let, let's bring some more synonyms in here. Um, outlook, point of view, position, angle, attitude, frame of mind, frame of reference, approach, way of looking or thinking about a thing, vantage point, interpretation. I want to bring up interpretation for a second because interpretation is very important because the scripture says that we must rightly divide the word of truth, which means the Bible needs to be interpreted by the reader. But if your perspective is off, then you could be looking at Scripture and totally interpreting wrong, thinking it is the infallible word of God and totally wrong, and nobody can tell you any different. There have been many denominations have done this. Some people that I can think of, and I, I don't like to cast aspersions on other people, but I think it helps me make my point. There are what they call snake handlers because they read a scripture where it says that you could handle snakes and they won't harm you. And it was talking about rightly interpreted. It's talking about in a situation kind of like Paul got into where a snake attached himself and bit him and Paul was okay. But these people have incorporated snakes into their worship and they toss snakes around the church because they believe the Bible says that they can handle snakes and they won't be harmed. But that's a poor interpretation because they don't understand perspective. They don't understand that that scripture was written for a certain time and you're supposed to grab the overall 
a point of it and not the literal. Sometimes the literal is trouble. The scripture says it this way. He said, the literal killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And so there's a lot of people who look at the Bible from a frame of reference that is totally off. And they have led people way off because their perspective was bad. So we have to know the power of perspective because it can affect a lot of things. I'd like to do that one more time in, in, in a larger way. Outlook, point of view, position, angle, attitude, frame of mind, frame of reference, approach, way of looking or thinking, vantage point, interpretation. If a person has the perspective and the perception that nobody likes them, then almost you almost have to break your neck to show them that they're loved. Because in their perspective, in their perception, they always revert back to the frame of reference, nobody likes me. And sometimes it comes from their trauma, things that happened to them as a child. But what when people come to God, God is always trying to take them from where they were to where he wants them to be. But sometimes people revert back to where they were. I'm reminded of Peter walking on the water and he's already defying the odds. The, the fact that he's walking on the water is already defying the odds. But when the winds and the waves begin to blow, in his mind, he says, there's no way I should be walking on water with the winds and the waves. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He loses his perspective and he begins to sink. Truth of the matter is, if the water was absolutely calm, there was no wind, there was no waves, he still shouldn't have been able to be walking on the water. He was walking on the faith of God's word when God said, come. And he said, if it be you, Jesus bid me to come. Jesus said, come. He was actually walking on the word of God, but he lost perspective of that. And I'm not dogging him out because if I was in the same situation, I probably would have done or maybe wouldn't even got out of the boat. But there is something for us to understand that we can be going well, doing well. I'm not talking about people who don't know God and sinners. I'm talking about us who are in God. We're in the path and the journey of growing in God, but then we begin to sink or we lose things. The first thing we need to check is what has our perspective been? Has my perspective shifted? Has it affected my perception? Has my outlook changed? Has my vantage point changed? Has my frame of reference changed? Before you blame someone else, look at yourself. One way that Jesus gave it in an example or a parable, he said, it's like someone trying to remove the speck of dust in someone else's eye when they have a log in their own eye. And the problem is you're seeing everyone from the frame of reference from the problems that you have, and then you want to point out everybody else's problem. So it's power in understanding perspective. So what we did in order to do this, we went back to Psalms. And when we talked about um, I command my soul, we use Psalms as well. But last week, I shifted and didn't talk about the Sunday sermon. I talked about worship. So I'll bring up what we talked about in the previous two weeks, just in case you missed it. We're going to put this graphic up. The book of Psalms, I'll make it larger. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And basically, this is showing how the book of Psalms is divided up, the divisions of Psalms. So sometimes you'll, you'll see, hear, hear someone say the 33rd division of Psalms. And the reason why I said like that, because they decided to divide them up. So Psalms are songs. They are songs or poems that have been gathered throughout the history. And the history that they use is mainly David's time. But sometimes you see some Psalms of Moses and other people. But the collectors of the Bible, remember the Bible is not or was not a book the way we have it, where it's all put together. Basically, the Bible that we carry is a library of books, 66 books put together. And in the 66 books, there's several type of books. And then there is the book of Psalms that is divided into several books. And so this is how it's divided. Book one is divided from chapter one to 41. Book two, chapter 42 to 72, book three, 73 to 89, 
book four, 90 to 106, book five, 107 to 150. When we talked about command our soul, we talked about book two, and we spent some time on Psalms 42, the very first chapter in the book of, in that division. And then today we're going to do Psalms 73, the very first chapter in that division. And I, I bring that up for a reason because in this is Bible study. And when you're studying the Bible, there are certain things you do need to know. Certain books follow chronological order, like Genesis, in the beginning, and then it tells you steps. Psalms is not one of those things that follows chronological order. So just because Psalms 1 is first doesn't mean that's the first time it happens in history. So some of David's psalms that he wrote, you'll have to go to Samuel and other things to figure out why he was writing, what he was writing, when he was writing, because psalms is not laid out in some chronological order. It's laid out in those divisions for different reasons, because psalms was more like a hymnal, a songbook. It's a book of poetry. Because psalms is like that, it is more metaphor and simile. Metaphor and simile means it's not very little or literal. It points to something else like, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He lead me beside the still waters. So it compares us, the believer, to a sheep. Well, we're humans. We're not sheep. But the poetry of it shows us that Jesus, like a shepherd does a sheep, does that. And the reason why the writer would do that, because in that time, there would have been a lot of shepherds. It's something they really could have comprehended. So since we are reading the Bible several thousand years later from when it was originally written, then sometimes we have to do a little work. And so that's why I decided to help us in these last two weeks in working through these books. So we're going to look at this. We're going to start with book three that starts with Psalm 73 and it ends with 89. I want to read some things about it that will help you understand how this particular uh, division of Psalms is laid out. Book three of Psalms contains a great deal of lamentation and complaint. Lamentation is weeping and complaint. Divine judgment, both positive and negative, comes to the fore in many of the Psalms here. So once you know that, then you might understand that you may read some of those Psalms and they don't necessarily uplift your spirit because that's not what they're designed to do. They're designed to show the state of the writer at the time. And many times the writer was dealing, dealing with divine judgment, either positive or negative, or they were dealing with lamenting, weeping, complaining. So that means this book is made up of a lot of negative events, but what it does, what it does for us as we read it, it shows us how people, even in those days, went through tough times, but they yet were pointing to God because they were writing songs to be sung to God or poetry to be uh, talked about about God. So basically, they were saying, "We're going to get through this, but this is how we feel right now." And I love Psalms for that reason, that it brings a reality to what humans go through. Everything is not a Sunday morning high time service, shouting, dancing, happy, turn around three times. A blessing is right there. Life doesn't always flow like that. You will have moments like that, but not all the time. More than likely, you will have more challenges in between those great grand moments. So what do you do and how do you handle those times? Deliverance Temple has walked into a season of those type of times. And it's so good that we have scripture that lets us know that we don't have to lose hope because there were many people who had those type of seasons and challenges. We are not alone. So let's uh, look this up, and this will help us as well. Contemplating these psalms gives us a mirror in which to explore our own faithfulness or lack of it. Uh, I'll speak on that for a moment. So 
oftentimes when you get in challenges, one of the things that is tested is your faithfulness to God or lack thereof. Because the human response when you're in a challenge is to run to something natural and run away from God. Why would I reach out to a God that I can't see who could have stopped this trouble to begin with? Why don't I just turn to what I know or what I'm used to, whether it is something, some type of addictive behavior or whether it's something that comforts you? Some people turn to comfort eating, comfort food. And many times we are exposed in our level of maturity because it takes a mature Christian to be able to go through. The Bible says to, uh, and Paul wrote it to Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier. So it seems to suggest that a bad soldier can't endure hardness. Everybody that signs up for the military don't go all the way to the end. There's a lot of people that quit in boot camp. But boot camp is designed to break you down so that if you ever get into war situation, you can handle it. But some people can't handle the preparation. And we are always in training for reigning. We are always are in preparation for our next level. You don't show up at the next level without preparation. Just yesterday, Stephen Curry became the leader of three-point uh, shots made in NBA history of all time. He passed Reggie Miller and Ray Allen, and now he's number one sitting at the top, and everything he hits after that, that he makes after this will just add to the record. But he didn't become a record holder on the night he won the record. He became a record holder back in the days when his dad was playing and he was picking up a ball at five and six years old and was shooting a ball and then began to have a discipline. And they talked about the discipline he had even when he first got to the league and nobody thought he would make it in the shots that he shot. All that preparation is why he is as great as he is now. But many of us, we want to jump straight to greatness and we want to miss all the work in between. And you can try that route if you want to, but challenges of life will force you to do the work. And so it's good that we can go to scriptures where people had to go through it sometimes in order to overcome and come out on the other end. So it shows our own faithfulness or lack of it, as well as to express our actual feelings to God, who is able to reconcile everything to himself. We can actually talk to God how we really feel. All of our prayers don't have to be prayers of great grandeur where we're praying and interceding and asking for things. Sometimes our prayers are, God, why is this happening? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. If you are yet talking to God, it is prayer. But prayer is monologue. I mean, prayer is dialogue. It's not monologue. Monologue means just one person is talking. But when you ask God, many times he talks back to you. Now, the way he talks back, it's not always what we want to hear. Sometimes he talks back to us and allowing us to go through more seasons of what we're complaining about. But he understands that he's building something in us if we would allow it. Everybody in the gym that's in the gym understands that in order to have the body that they want, it takes work in the gym. Also, everybody in the gym now knows in a few weeks, the gym is going to be packed in January with all these people with New Year resolutions. But the regular gym goer knows by February and at least by March, most of those people are going to fall off because it's Good to go with the fad, but when you have to consistently do something over and over and over and it hurts you and it pains you and it stresses you and you don't feel like doing it, most people fall off. But it's the dedicated ones that move to that next level. And we're trying to be the dedicated ones. So sometimes we have to contemplate and some of these Psalms help us to contemplate and to show us again what contemplate means to look thoroughly or look thoughtfully and thoroughly for a long time at something. Sometimes you have to look at your situation and say, God, how did I get here? Because it's not, God, why did you allow it? 
Sometimes I had a lot to do with why I am where I am. And God, what are you trying to show me in this? Because I keep coming through this to the same challenge consistently. One thing about God in God, you don't fail the test. You just have to retake it. And when you keep retaking tests, you realize there was something I didn't learn the first time. For a lot of us, the test that we always have to keep coming back to is learning how to take our hands off of situations. When situations arrive, the first thing we want to do is get our hands in there because we know how it's supposed to work. But life is not all about our hands. And sometimes God is saying, would you just get out of my way? And it takes us a while to figure out that many of my problems have been the fact that I just won't wait on God long enough to fix it the way he wants to fix it. And I always got to get in there somehow. And God says, okay, do it your way, but the test is going to come back again. And sometimes for some of us, it takes 10, 15, 20 years for us to realize, oh, you know what? This time I'm going to pray about it and let it go. I'm going to pray about it and leave it there. And every time I'm tempted to go back to it, I'm going to force myself. And then sometimes you break that test by overcoming it and you never have to go back to it. But the good thing is you can use your previous failures and your previous losses to help the next person not take 10, 15, 20 years to learn the lesson that you did. So you can redeem everything. And the way they uh, it said it in the previous thing is that uh, all things can be reconciled. God is able to reconcile everything to himself. He's able to get the most out of everything. All right, let's start with Psalm 73, 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Of course, that is seem, seeming to be self-explanatory. And when you start with that verse, it seems like the writer who is Asaph seems like the writer would continue in that vein. But the second verse takes a very interesting turn when you look at it. It says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I love the reality of the writer. I love the writer telling us why he almost slipped. He said, I begin to take my eyes off of God and look at other people who seem to be doing better than me. One of the biggest traps that we all get tempted in, especially in the social media age, is the trap of comparison, comparing what I have to what someone else has. And then when you compare, then what, what someone uh, said, they, they said it, um, it might have been Creflo Dollar said it this way, that the problem with comparison is when you compare, you have a tendency to belittle. In other words, you belittle what God is doing in your life because you compare that to what God is doing in someone else's life or what you perceive God to be doing in someone else's life. Sometimes though people or people are getting it through evil means and you don't even want it that way anyway, but you got caught in the trap of comparison and it belittles what God is doing in your life. In the uh, time of the Israelites, when they finally did cross over the Jordan and they got into the promised land, each tribe was given land according to its portion, which shows that everybody can't handle everything. And that is a hard truth for many of us to get through our heads. I'm comparing myself with someone who has greater capacity to handle than I do because they can handle it and still be humble. They can have it and still be saved. But the truth of the matter is, if God blessed me the way he blessed them, I'd probably mess it up because I'm not mature enough yet to handle that. I'm not mature enough yet to have that. I'm not mature enough yet for a real long-term relationship. So that's why my relationships keep failing and the other person seems to be going on and on and on and all things seem to work. But you compare what's happening to them to what's happening to you without knowing the backstory. So 
This is why Aesop almost slipped because he began to compare. But the problem was he was comparing himself with the wicked. For I envied, and envy is a problem that comes with comparison. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. This was his perspective or his perception. But hospitals will tell you that's a wrong perspective because hospitals are filled with sinners and saints alike. So it's not true that the wicked just go uh, along and don't have any troubles and their bodies are healthy and strong. But once you get into comparison, it makes it seem like somebody always is doing better than you. Remember the old saying that the grass is always greener on the other side. But somebody said, if you would water your own grass, then your grass would be green too. So you can't always worry about what's on the other side because sometimes when you get to the other side, you realize their grass wasn't that green either. But you got it caught in the trap of comparison, and that affects your perspective. All right, let's see verse 5. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills, which is not true, but that was his perspective because of a wrong perspective. Excuse me, that was his perception because of a wrong perspective. This is what the wicked are like. Verse 12, I drop down. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. They always seem to be okay. They don't have any cares. But if we look at just Hollywood, we see that maybe they have money and have amassed wealth, but you see many of them that never were happy. You see many of them that don't have relationships that last. You see many of them that committed suicide because they didn't have what we had. They didn't have the thing that fills the soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? We have the answer that the world needs, but oftentimes we get distracted by our challenges Our perspective gets off and then we look out at other things and other people and we wish we were in their position. Married folk want to be single. Single folk want to be married. But is anybody going to enjoy the season that they're in to get to the next season? So we have to learn how to make sure our perspective is right and our perspective will be right when we focus on Jesus instead of focusing on on other things and outside people and comparing ourselves and getting into envy and jealousy, all the traps that come when our perspective gets off. Let's continue. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. So Asaph is saying, I've been everything I've been doing is in vain. Now I don't know if I'm communicating to anybody else that this has happened to, but I have felt that way in my own life. And I mean, as a preacher, as a pastor, I have felt like I've known preachers who seem to do better than me and who are not living what I live because I've seen their behind the scenes and their life was more raggedy than me. And I'm like, well, shoot, why am I trying to do it the right way? Why am I trying to keep so much integrity? Why am I trying to love one wife when this fella got three, four girlfriends and he got a big old church and everything seems to be working? And here I am preaching and then running, trying to go to work. This doesn't seem fair. This is all in vain. But I got to check myself when I think of that because I'm in a much better place than the other person because the other person is living a double life. I'm not living a double life. I'm I'm giving God the best that I can. And if it looks like someone who's living less than you is getting more blessed than you, you you can't focus on that because you really don't know what that person's end is going to be. You also don't know what has happened in their life. They might be going through a rough time and maybe God's going to bring them out. So stop judging books by their cover. Stop looking at other people and look at you and look at God. Focus on you and focus on God, and that'll keep your perspective intact. So whenever I've come to the place that, oh, man, all this is in vain. I just need to go out and wild out and act a fool. At the end of the day, I realized I'd be miserable doing that. I wouldn't enjoy doing that. I wouldn't be my authentic self doing that. So, Andre, quit tripping. 
buckle down, get back in that pulpit, preach the word of God, be committed to your family, be committed to doing things the right way, and, and, and stop thinking stupid thoughts. What do you mean, pastor? St- stupid thoughts like, I'm driving to work, and I'm just going to pass work, and I'm just going to keep on driving. I'm just going to drive till I run out of gas, get at a hotel, don't tell nobody where I'm at, fill up, and just drive, and just y'all be looking for me. I just quit. I give up. No, I can't keep thinking thoughts like that. No, get yourself together. Go to work, clock in, do the best you can, come home, and, and, and remember these babies that you prayed for and cried for. Remember how you asked God to open up doors of ministry. And here I am giving you a chance to preach every Sunday. Yeah, it may, it may be to the same people, but I'm blessing you. But stay in your lane. Don't compare yourself. Don't act like it's all in vain. And once you refocus yourself, you realize, no, this is what I need to be doing. You can encourage yourself. The Bible says David encouraged himself. Some of y'all would be okay if you would stop looking at everybody else and learn to encourage yourself. Pick yourself up off the pillow. It's okay to cry, but time for crying is over. No, no, get back in the fight. Get back in the race because people are depending on you. We need your perspective to be right. If the pilot who is flying the plane, if his perspective is wrong, it could mess up the entire crew and the entire passengers. If anybody is seeing straight, the pilot needs to be seeing straight. Well, you have a sphere of influence. You are a disciple maker. You are a mentor to others. If you get off, a whole bunch of other people are going to get off. Buckle down, get yourself back in the game, and get refocused on what God has for you. Get your perspective back right. Verse 14, all day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. Verse 16, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. I love the truth and the reality of all this. Now, the beautiful thing about Aesop is even though he was troubled deeply, he was yet writing to God. Even though he was troubled deeply, he was yet operating in his gift, which was the gift of the, the music, the poetry, he was putting what he felt into his work. And if you're going to complain, that's the best way to do it is once you're done complaining, you put all that energy back into your work. You don't complain to people who can't help. You put it all your energy back into your work. So sometimes when I'm struggling, I preach my best messages Sometimes my best Facebook post or when I've been contemplating, thinking about something and and something really pricks my heart. Because sometimes it is when we are brought low that we can see things clearly. Sometimes when we are challenged, it helps us to see things clearly. I'll I'll give you an example of uh, something that you'll probably understand. Those of us who drive and drive a lot, very rarely do we look at the yellow lines on the street. They're there for a reason. We just know to stay in a lane. We think that's all it's there for. But when it's extremely, extremely foggy and you can't see in front of you, visibility is really low, those yellow markers and reflectors, they become vitally important. You begin to understand that they were there for a reason. And so the harder it is, the more challenging it is to see it makes you focus and reflect. It makes you focus on reflectors. Another example of that, you don't pay any attention to the reflectors on bikes in the daytime. But when bikes are moving at night and you realize, oh man, I didn't realize that wasn't a car or anything. That's a human on the bike. But the reflectors shone and I let me know, I need to slow down. So when you get in certain situations, it makes you pause and reflect. But sometimes the reflection will save your life. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. But in that troubling, sometimes you get your greatest answers when you are allowed to sit in trouble and you have to reflect. Many times, trouble is our friend. Many times, pain has purpose that brings us to new levels. And with Without the pain, without the tension, 
We would never be what we need to be. The weakest of the weak is because they've never put any tension on their muscles. When you put tension on the muscles, that's when they begin to grow and build. So sometimes the trouble and the challenge really is our friend because it makes us what we need to be. Uh, This example, Aesop, Job, and Jeremiah are three examples of wrestling deeply with the pain of serving God when life seems consistently unfair. Psalm 73, 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. I love what Aesop is letting us know. He was letting us know that the reason why his perspective was consistently off is because he was looking outside the sanctuary of God. He said, once I got in the sanctuary of God and I experienced the presence of God, it reminded me why I do what I do. I cannot understand Christians who do not want to connect with God, who do not want to be in the house of God when they can, who do not want to tune in online when it's available to them, when word of God is going forth that could change their life. I don't understand why people won't connect and why things are so important and too important for it. Because what I understand, even as the teacher, the words that come forth, they always adjust my seeing. They always help me see clearer. They always help my perspective, help me to regain focus and regain perspective because it's something about the sanctuary of God. It's something about the physical, literal building, building, but also the temple of God inside of me and also the temple of God inside of you. That's why when I bump into a Christian in the grocery store, at the mall, at the game, a real true Christian, it uplifts your spirit because there's something about being around like-minded believers that make you feel empowered and emboldened. I'm so grateful for the kingdom of God, the body of Christ. And when we focus on the body of, of the world instead of the body of Christ, our perspective is off. But when we focus on the body of Christ, one thing we understand, we are consistently winning. Now, I may be having a challenging moment. My church may be having a challenging moment, but there's never a time in the entire body of Christ where all churches all the time are down. Somebody somewhere is up, and I can always look to that. You can, in this day and age, grab YouTube and always find a moment where something powerful was going on. It may be a pre-recorded tape moment, but the anointing sometimes is still there. You can go and watch live gospel where someone was singing something. I, I was watching something else on Instagram uh, the other day, and you know how sometimes when you're watching an Instagram or a Facebook video, it'll automatically go to the next video without you queuing it up. It just goes to the next video. Well, the next video was a girl who was singing, and in the middle of her song, began to testify talking about how she used to be hooked on cocaine and giving all her money to cocaine, but God delivered her. Now she's singing the gospel. I didn't even try to cue that up, but it just came and filled my car, and I felt the anointing of God because the body of Christ is always up somewhere, whether it's pre-taped, pre-recorded, whether it's live. There's always a place where we can be strong. So Asaph said, I was almost tricked. My feet almost slipped when I was looking everywhere else till, until, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then what happens, I understood their final destiny. I understood that I'm in the best place. I don't care what somebody else is driving. I don't care what they're living, what they're doing. I don't care what job they have. I don't care how many followers they got on Facebook and Instagram. I don't care how many views and likes they got. If they don't know God, I'm in a better position than they am, than they are. And my job should be, I got to get myself up so I can help them see that all the stuff they're trusting in is not going to mount to a hill of beans in the end. They need to know the God that I serve. 
But if I look like I'm sucking on sour lemons, my head is always stuck in the sand. I'm always depressed. I'm consistently down. I'm always backsliding, always failing. Why and how could I ever be a witness to a dying world out there? At some point, we got to stop looking everywhere else and start focusing on the sanctuary of God where the presence of God is. And if you can't find it in the church, well, I can't find no good churches. Ain't no good churches preaching the word. Well, aren't you the church? Well, how about you go inside you and you ought to have something to grab and pull up out of, out of you. If you've been in church 10, 15, 20 years, you ought to have some word hidden down in you. Stop looking for some preacher to bail you out. You be the answer that you need. You be what you need. Go within the sanctuary of your own self and find out what is there. What, what is inside of you? I love the story of the woman who was getting ready to see her sons taken by the creditors. Her sons were getting ready to be taken. And here comes the prophet of God trying to give her hope. And she's like, help, we, we about to lose everything. And he says, what do you have in your house? She's like, I ain't, I ain't got nothing except this pot of oil. And the moral of the story is God multiplied the pot of oil. The only thing that she had that she thought was little and nothing was the very thing God used to save her entire family. I'm here to let you know you've got something in you. If you are saved, you've got something in you. Stop calling it a little pot of oil. No, you've got something that can save your entire family. And it's hidden on the inside of you, but you're looking everywhere else. Your perspective is, is, listen, when all else fails, I'm reaching in. I'm grabbing from within. I have been telling myself I am not going to get stuck in grief. I want to grieve my father, not just because he was my pastor and overseer for y'all, but he was my daddy. But I will not honor my dad if I allow grief to stay longer than what it's supposed to. Yes, I honor him by grieving for a period of time, and I don't know how long that time is, there's a right way to grieve, but I'm not going to allow grief to stop me in my tracks where I don't do the work of the ministry that he handed and put in my hands. I'm still taking Deliverance Temple where my father always thought it should go. I'm not going to let the devil push me over, and if I will, I need to get out of the way and let somebody else lead. I'm, but it's a choice that I'm making. I choose to overcome. I choose to believe the word that I've preached. I choose to believe that this is the best life to live and I'm going after God. I'm chasing after you no matter what I have to do because I need you more and more. Have I been tested and challenged? Sure. But am I wearing it on my face every day? Absolutely not. I'm still laughing every day. I'm still finding a way to praise every day. I'm still talking to God every day. Are there moments that I have low moments? Yes. Are there times that I want to cry? Yes. But that's not going to be my whole 24 hours. No, I am going to be everything God called me to be. And I'm going to laugh in the devil's face and tell him, ha, ha, ha. You thought you had me, but no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. And I'm saying the same thing to you and the same thing to Deliverance Temple. We all have been in some type of hard, harsh challenge. But if our perspective is correct, we will rise from this greater and better. And that's the only thing I'm expecting and believing. I, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, Shift us in on Sunday. I went to Lamentations 3. I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to put this up for us. Asaph's perspective after being in the sanctuary, after he was in the sanctuary, his perspective shifted. He begins to say this Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. He began to understand oh, the reason why I don't want to trade places with them is because my foot almost slipped. But they are on slippery ground. Every step they take is slippery. And he's talking about the wicked. So we don't want to trade in and, and, and just quit serving God and just go all the way wicked. 
I understand us having challenges, but we ought to have some boundaries to our challenges. Single folk, you may be tempted to be in sexual relationship, but you ought to have some boundary. You shouldn't just be doing three, four times a week, you always with your man sleeping with. No, you ought to have some type of boundary because what you're doing, you're putting yourself in the place that the wicked are and they are in slippery slopes. No, pull yourself together and say, okay, maybe I slipped here and there. Maybe I had some fault, but I'm going to try to live the highest level that I see in the scriptures. Now, if I fall short, that's one thing, but, it's, but I, at least I'm going to try. And a lot of Christians, they just give up trying. Like, well, you know, it, it's all right. Well, that, the, the Bible is old fogey. It may be old fogey to you, but it's going to get you out of the trouble you're in. So you, you ought to give it your best attempt because if you switch places with them, you'll find out they're on a slippery slope and it's not a slope you want to be on. So you got to make up in your mind you, you want to do better. Verse 19, how suddenly are they destroyed, co completely swept away by terrors? Here's the difference between them and us. We go through things and somehow come out on the other side. Some of them are suddenly swept away. Here today, gone tomorrow. There are people in the entertainment industry called one-hit wonders. They were millionaires one day. They had a hit record. The next record and the next record, you don't hear about them no more. They're working at Kroger because the, the, the world will, will celebrate you and then chew you up and spit you out. When they're done with you and they don't need you, they'll get rid of you. And those people who don't have God, they don't know how to deal with that. Relationships, that man you're giving all your attention to might chew you up and spit you out. And then here you are getting ready to commit suicide because you don't put all yourself in a human instead of putting yourself in God. And sometimes men, they put all themselves in a career or chasing a basketball dream. But then when your knee blows out, you're getting ready to blow your brains because you can't play basketball. But when you lock into God and you have life-altering challenges, you don't die in that. You find a way to reinvent yourself. So Aesop began to understand, I'm in a better position than they are. I got to stop looking at them. They should be looking at me. They are like a dream when one awakes, which on Sunday I, I, I spoke to us on the fact that many times when you wake from a dream, the first thing you do, you forget to dream. You don't even remember what you, you dream. And he's saying those people sometimes are just forgotten. You don't want to be that way. When you arise, Lord, you would despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Now, Aesop is beginning to understand what he brought to the own problem. At first, the song starts off with, it says, surely God is good. And, and the reason why that starts first, because that's after he comes to understand everything. So he put that first. But verse two shows us how he almost slipped. And the reason why it's because he didn't understand what he was bringing to the problem. He was complaining to God, thinking God was the one causing all the problem. But here, the truth of the matter is, and, and I'll point it out, what happened is he allowed his circumstances to embitter his spirit. Instead of becoming better, he became bitter. We've all met someone or someones who gone through something and they became so bitter that they live in what they went through and they forget that they went through. They've had an ex for 20 years, but they're still at the day of signing divorce papers. Not to say that that wasn't uh, hard or that was easy, but 20 years later, you can't be living in that. You've got to move forward. But Asaph said, I, I, I got ignorant. Because my spirit, I allowed that stuff to get into my spirit. Verse 23 to 24, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Basically, Aesop was saying, I was tripping. Here I'm allowing what I'm going through to make me bitter. And you was here all the time. Do you, do you understand that in your darkest time, God was there? In your worst times, God was there because God wants to show you he's not just God on the mountaintop. 
He's God in the valley. He's not just God in heaven. He's God in hell. The Bible says, David said, if I make my bed in hell, you'll find me there. He says, there's no space and time with God. At your lowest of lows, God wants to prove to you, I'm there. And many times we get ignorant and we choose God for not being there in our worst trials. And he was there all the time, just waiting for you to turn to him. But we turn to everything else. And when I say we, I mean we. I've been there where I turned to addiction instead of turning to God. But I learned that, no, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my hurts. I'm giving you my pains. Listen, if if I'm going to go through, we're going to go through it together. If I'm going to cry, I'm crying with you, God. If I'm going to yell, I'm yelling with you, God. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm yelling with you, God. We are in this together because I have no other hope but you, which is basically what the next few verses say. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. At the end of the day, God, earth don't have really anything for me. You're the only thing I have. You're the only thing I need, and you're the only thing I have. And I may be tempted to trade you in for some earthly stuff, but the best of car, rust. The most beautiful mansion gets spider webs in it. A mouse can climb into any mansion. Things happen to the best of bodies. The, even the plastic bodies start sagging and changing. Wrinkles come at anything. So why would I give up everything that you offer me for these temporal earthly things? Who do I have in heaven but you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I may be hurting and I may be struggling. Ooh, but I'd be doggone if I'm going to give up on God. I would rather hurt and struggle in my flesh than lose my relationship with God. You know why? Because I connect with my creator continually. And I don't want that to be in vain. No, I want that to mean something. When I get to heaven, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful service. I'm going to go through whatever I got to go through as long as I got you, God. As long as you're holding on to me, I'm going to be okay in the end. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Here's the final thing that will close for the final Bible study of this year. So, the basically the final more of the story that Aesop came to is, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use what I went through to tell somebody else. So here we see that thousands of years later in a December date in 2021, December 15th to be exact, in 2021, we are drawing strength from Aesop's words. He turned his complaint and then something that could be used to tell the world of how good God is. Testimony is the fact that you had to go through a test, but God brought you out. Don't expect to have a testimony without having a test. But at the end of the day, make up in your mind like Aesop, I'm going to tell of your deeds. God, if you get me out of this one, I'm going to tell somebody. I ain't got to wait to church to have a testimony service. I'll testify in the park. I'll call somebody up and testify. I'll get on Facebook and just turn my camera on and testify to the camera. I'll tell of his deeds because at the end of the day, God has still been good to me. I'll close with this. I heard great things about the, the women's Christmas party that you guys had and uh, I heard my wife share and some other people share that different people got up and testify and telling how God helped them get through. I'm here to let you know 2022 is the year where we tell how God got us through. God got us through and we're going to tell it. 
And guess what? People are going to hear it. Uh, uh, what, what was the, what the newspaper used to say? Come read all about it. Here it is. God has been good to his people. In good times, he's been good. In bad times, he's been good. And in different times, he's been good. In ugly times, he's been good. In trying times, he's been good. In crying times, he's been good. In confusing times, he's been good. And the only thing I'm going to do is tell somebody that not only was he good, but he got me through. Can, can you just, for our last Bible study of the night, and I'm going to do it too, can you just type in the comments, he got me through. That is going to be our testimony and our story for 2022. He got me through. I'll take some time to just type that in the comments myself. He got me through. Then I'm going to add one final one. And then we will close. I'm going to say he got us through. Because I'm not satisfied if he just got me through. I'll only be satisfied if he got us through. If we all get through together and see breakthrough. That's what I'm believing for my church. And guess what? I'm the man to lead us to do it because God gave me that power. And guess what? My father's mantle and his anointing is resting on my life to help us get to that place where we can all say he got us through. God bless you. We love you. We vitally appreciate you. We thank God for all you who tune in. I want to say something to you uh, online people, you make the service by tuning in online and we appreciate you. But yet I want to say to the, those in the building who consistently come inside the building, in the building it's a lot smaller. It's not, not, uh, not a lot of people that come in, but we have some who consistently come to the building. We appreciate you. You guys both, both in person and online, you've made these Bible studies powerful. And not only that, we've been sharing these Bible studies on YouTube and the rebroadcast, and people are being touched by the studies that we have. So thank God for what God is doing in our lives. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, we love you, we appreciate you, we honor you. You are getting us through. That's our story. You're getting us through. You're taking us through. And at the end, we're going to be able to say, you got us through. You brought us out. You did it. It was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Now, God, for this final Bible study, if there's anybody who just does not know you as the Savior of their sins, Father God, I'm asking that they would just pray this simple prayer. Father God, come into my life. Come into my heart. Save me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me over, make me new, and give me a new space and place with you. And for that, I'll praise you and thank you, and I'll serve you to the day I die. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for watching. Not see you next week, not in Bible study, but we will see you next week online either on Sunday morning or uh, in person on Sunday morning. So we appreciate you very much. Here I am signing off for the final time. Andre Mitchell Ministries here at Deliver Simple signing off. Bless you. Love you dearly. Goodbye.